chapter nineteen of the maid of scar this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org the maid of scar by r d blackmore chapter nineteen a craft beyond the law colonel lower of candleston court was one of the finest and noblest men it was ever my luck to come across he never would hear a word against me any more than i would against him and no sooner did i see him upon the bench than i ceased to care what the evidence was if they failed to prove their falsehoods as nearly always came to pass he dismissed them with a stern reprimand for taking away my character and if they seemed to establish anything by low devices against me what did he say why no more than this david if what they say be true you appear to have forgotten yourself in a very unusual manner you have promised me always to improve and i thought that you were doing it this seems to be a trifling charge however i must convict you the penalty is one shilling and the costs fifteen may it please your worship i always used to answer is an honest man to lose his good name and pay those who have none for stealing it having seen a good deal of the world he always felt the force of this but found it difficult to say so with prejudiced men observing him only i knew that my fine and costs would be slipped into my hand by and by with a glimpse of the candleston livery this was no more than fair between us for not more than seven generations had passed since griffith llewellyn of my true stock had been the proper and only bard to the great lord lower of coety whence descended our good colonel there had been some little mistake about the departure of the title no doubt through extremes of honesty but no lord in the county came of better blood than colonel lower to such a man it was a hopeless thing for the bitterest enemy if he had one to impute one white hair's breadth of departure from the truth a thoroughly noble man to look at and a noble man to hearken to because he knew not his own kindness but was kind to every one now this good man had no child at all as generally happens to very good men for fear of mankind improving much and the great king of israel david from whom our family has a tradition yet without any jewish blood in us he says if i am not mistaken that it is a sure mark of the ungodly to have children at their desire and to leave the rest of their substance to ungodly infants not to be all alone the colonel after the death of his excellent wife persuaded his only sister the lady bluett widow of lord bluett to set up with him at candleston and this she was not very loath to do because her eldest son the present lord bluett was of a wild and sporting turn and no sooner became of age but that he wanted no mother over him therefore she left him for a while to his own devices hoping every month to hear of his suddenly repenting 
now this was a lady fit to look at you might travel all day among people that kept drawing-rooms and greenhouses and the new safe of music well named from its colour grand peony and you might go up and down bridge-end even on a fair day yet nobody would you set eyes on fit to be looked at as a lady on the day that you saw lady bluette it was not that she pretended anything that made all the difference only she felt such a thorough knowledge that she was no more than we might have been except for a width of accidents and nothing ever parted her from any one with good in him for instance the first time she saw me again after thirty years perhaps from the season of her beauty charm when i had chanced to win all the prizes in the sports given at candleston court for the manhood of now colonel lower not only did she at once recognize me in spite of all my battering but she held out her beautiful hand and said how are you mr llewellyn nobody had ever called me mr llewellyn much till then but by good luck a washerwoman heard it and repeated it and since that day there are not many people leaving out clods and low enemies with the face to accost me otherwise however this is not to the purpose any more than it is worthy of me how can it matter what people call me when i am clear of my fish-basket as indeed i always feel at the moment of unstrapping no longer any reputation to require my fist ready i have done my utmost and i have received the money these are the fine perceptions which preserve a man of my position from the effects of calumny and next to myself the principal guardian of my honour was this noble colonel lower moreover a fine little chap there was lady bluett's younger son honourable rodney bluett by name for his father had served under admiral rodney and been very friendly with him and brought him to church as a godfather this young rodney bluett was about ten years old at that time and the main delight of his life was this to come fishing with old davy the wondrous yarns i used to spin had such an effect on his little brain that his prospects on dry land and love of his mother and certain inheritance from the colonel were helpless to keep him from longing always to see the things which i had seen with his large blue eyes upon me and his flaxen hair tied back and his sleeves tucked up for paddling hour by hour he would listen when the weather was too rough to do much more than look at it or if we went out in a boat as we did when he could pay for hiring and when his mother was out of the way many and many a time i found him when he should have been quick with the bait dwelling upon the fine ideas which my tales had bred in him i took no trouble in telling them neither did i spare the truth when it would come in clumsily like a lubber who cannot touch his hat but they all smell good and true because they have that character however he must bide his time as every one of us has to do before i make too much of him and just at the period now in hand he was down in my black books for never coming near me it may have been that he had orders not to be so much with me and very likely that was wise for neither his mother nor his uncle could bear the idea of his going to sea but meant to make a red herring of him as we call those poor land soldiers 
being so used to his pretty company and his admiration also helping him as i did to spend his pocket-money i missed him more than i could have believed neither could i help sorrowing at this great loss of opportunity for many an honest shilling might have been turned ere winter by the hire of my boat to him when he came out with me fishing i had prepared a scale of charges very little over captain bobs to whom he used to pay four pence an hour when i let him come after the whiting with me and now for no more than sixpence an hour he should have my very superior boat and keep her head by my directions for he understood a rudder and bait my hooks and stow my fish and enjoy as all boys should the idea of being useful for as concerns that little barkie i had by this time secured myself from any further uneasiness or troublesome need of concealment by a bold and spirited facing of facts which deserve the congratulation of all honest fishermen the boat like her little captain was at first all white as i may have said but now before her appearance in public i painted her gunwale and strakes bright blue even down to her watermark and then without meddling with her name or rather that of the ship she belonged to i retraced very lightly but so that any one could read it the name of the port from which she hailed and which as i felt certain now from what i had seen on the poor wretched ship must have been san salvador and the three last letters were so plain that i scarcely had to touch them now this being done and an old worn painter shipped instead of the new one which seemed to have been chopped off with an axe i borrowed a boat and stood off to sea from porth call point where they beached them having my tackle and bait on board as if for an evening off the tuscar where turbo and whiting pollock are here i fished until dusk of the night and as long as the people ashore could see me but as soon as all was dark and quiet i just pulled into newton bay and landed opposite the old red house where my new boat lay in ordinary snug as could be and all out of sight for the ruins of this old red house had such a repute for being haunted ever since a dreadful murder cast a ban around it that even i never wished to stop longer than need be there at night and once or twice i heard a noise that went to the marrow of my back of which however i will say no more until it comes to the proper place enough that no man woman or child for twenty miles round except myself had a conscience clear enough to go in there after dark and scarcely even by daylight my little craft was so light and handy that with the aid of the rollers ready i led her down over the beach myself and presently towed her out to sea with the water as smooth as a duck-pond and the tide of the neap very silent the weather was such as i could not doubt being now so full of experience therefore i had no fear to lie in a very dangerous berth indeed when any cockle of a sea gets up or even strong tides are running this was the western fork of the tuscar making what we call callipers for the back of the tuscar dries at half ebb and a wonderful ridge stops the run of the tide not only for weeds but for fish as well here with my anchor down 
i slept as only a virtuous man can sleep in the grey of the morning i was up ere the waning moon was done with and found the very thing to suit me going on delightfully the heavy dew of autumn rising from the land by perspiration spread a cloud along the shore a little mist was also crawling on the water here and there and having slept with a watch-coat and tarpaulin over me i shook myself up without an ache and like a good bee at the gate of the hive was brisk for making honey hence i pulled away from land with the heavy boat towing the light one and even sandy macraw unable to lay his gimlet eye on me and thus i rowed until quite certain of being over three miles from land then with the broad sun rising nobly and for a moment bowing till the white fog opened avenues i spread upon my pole a shirt which mother jones had washed for me it was the time when sandy macraw was bound to be up to his business and i had always made a point of seeing that he did it to have a low fellow of itchy character and no royal breed about him thrust by a feeble and reckless government into the berth that by nature was mine and to find him not content with this but even in his hours of duty poaching both day and night after my fish and when i desired to argue with him holding his tongue to irritate me satisfaction there could be none for it the only alleviation left me was to rout up this man right early and allow him no chance of napping therefore i challenged him with my shirt thus early in the morning because he was bound to be watching the world if he acted up to his nasty business such as no seaman would deign to and after a quarter of an hour perhaps very likely it was his wife that answered at any rate there was a signal up and through my spy-glass i saw that people wanted to launch a boat but failed therefore i made a great waving of shirt as much as to say extreme emergency have the courage to try again expecting something good from this they laid their shoulders and worked their legs and presently the boat was bowing on the gently fluted sea now it was not that i wanted help for i could have managed it all well enough but i wanted witnesses for never can i bear to seem to set at naught legality and these men were sure upon half a crown to place the facts before the public in an honest manner so i let them row away for the very lives of them as if the salvage of the nation hung upon their thumbs and elbows only i doused my shirt as soon as i found them getting eager and i thought that they might as well hail me first and slope off disappointment hoy there boat ahoy what old davy llewellyn what man had a right to call me old there i was as fresh as ever and i felt it the more that the man who did it was grey on the cheeks with a very large family and himself that vile old sandy nevertheless i preserved good manners ship your starboard oars you lubbers do you want to run me down what the devil brings you here at this time of the morning hereupon these worthy fellows dropped their oars from wonder until i showed them their mistake and begged them to sheer off a little for if i had accepted rope such as they wished to throw me they might have put in adverse claims and made me pay for my own boat when a poor man has been at work all night said i to break off their officiousness while all you lazy galley-rakers were abed and snoring can't he put his shirt to dry without you wanting to plunder him 
to temper off what might appear a little rude though wholesome i now permitted them to see a stoneware gallon full of beer or at least i had only had two pints out finding this to be the case and being hot with rowing so rapidly to my rescue they were well content to have some beer and drop all further claims and as i never can bear to be mean i gave them the two and sixpence also sandy macraw took all this money and i only hoped that he shared it duly and then as he never seemed at all to understand my contempt of him he spoke in that dry drawl of his which he always droned to drive me into very dreadful words and then to keep his distance i am heartily glad maman to see the look ye have encountered never shall ye say again that i have the advantage of ye the boit stud me in mickle siller but ye have grappled a boit for nort i cannot write down his outlandish manner of pronouncing english nor will i say much more about it because he concealed his jealousy so that i had no enjoyment of it except when i reasoned with myself and i need have expected nothing better from such a self-controlling rogue but when we came to porthcall point where some shelter is from wind and two public-houses and one private the whole affair was so straightforward and the distance of my boat from shore at time of capture so established and so witnessed that no steward of any manner durst even cast sheep's eyes at her a paper was drawn up and signed and the two public-houses at my expense christened her old davy and indeed for a little spell i had enough to do with people who came at all hours of the day to drink the health of my boat and me many of whom seemed to fail to remember really who was the one to pay and being still in cash a little and so generous always i found a whole basket of whiting and three large conjures and a lobster disappear against chalk marks whereof i had no warning and far worse no flavour but what i used to laugh at was that when we explained to one another how the law lay on this question and how the craft became legally mine as a derelict from the andalusia drifting at more than a league from land all our folk being short and shallow in the english language took up the word and called my boat all over the parish by relict as if in spite of the creator's wisdom i were dead and my wife alive End of chapter nineteen